All right, Quinny's ready. Should we jump right in, Ninnies? Yep. I think yes, we should, let's Quinnies. Jump right in. Let's fucking dive. <laughs> Leave the dog alone because the dog didn't do a damn thing and now you're trying to feed him your body. Thou fluid. shalt kill all of your Everybody's had a dog fish a tampon out of the garbage. It ain't right to bubble you, but you can pretend like you will. A dog. Wow. Murray time. Oh, God. Oh, my time. Looking forward to it. Fresh and tired. I don't like it. I don't trust it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Up Evil. My name is Jocelyn. I'm the brunette. We've got Katie. She's the redhead. Hello. And we have Carly. She's the blonde. Hiya. We're covering Maura Murray. Gwinnies. It's happening. It's, it's that happening. time. Um, get ready I don't to even rage. No, get ready to rage. Yeah, get ready to rage right out. I mean, I guess it's not one of the most rageful ones we've ever covered, for sure. No, like, but it gotten, sucks. It, it totally fucking sucks. sucks. It's like probably one of the really like weirdest ones. I'd say it's like, super totally weird. bizarre. I keep I've called her Mara Murray for fifteen fucking years, and that's not her name. Her name is Mora. Mora, and her right. sister kind of says Mara. Mara, a little this bit. Is what kills me because yeah. you, it, everyone, the accent. Pre- yeah, yeah, and she calls yeah. her Mar too, like for yeah. sure. So it's Mar. almost like a more yeah. Mar Mar. Kills me. So multiple yeah. times I'm going to say Mara, and you're going to, you Quinnies are just going to have to politely correct me. So, all right. Do I even need to do an introduction here, Quinnies? Uh, we yes, are please. starting our episode series on Mora Murray when we covered Israel Keys, when we covered Brianna Maitland and a few more of our more recent missing persons episodes. We kind of mentioned Maura Murray, expressed our interest in covering it. We're finally doing it. And we are really excited to get started. And for those of you who don't know, and I can't think of one of you who doesn't know who she is, (laughs) just how it is. Maura Murray was a student at UMass Amherst who disappeared on February 9th of 2004 under ridiculously mysterious circumstances. Maura's vehicle was found abandoned on the side of the road after an apparent car crash. But even that is kind of suspect. Oh my God. Wow. Wow. As well, so like many you, can't even, every, you can't even we really can't say even, that. You can't. I, what the literal only facts that we know for certain is the fact that her name is Maura Murray. Right. And even that, that I'm fucking that. that up already. There are literally thousands of websites, blogs, podcast episodes, TV shows dedicated to so Maura's disappearance because nobody seems to know what happened to her. Even people who have theories, always changing, always evolving. So what we're going to do is we're going to take you through her early life, her disappearance, and we are going to talk through just the circumstances surrounding her disappearance up to the point of her disappearance, where the investigation is gone, uh, where it's at now. And then we're going to come back at you next week with all the theories and all the speculation, all the speculation and, and all the everything feels. that we think happened or may have happened to Maura Murray. So we are going to start out tonight with Katie taking us through her early life before she disappeared. So Maura Murray was born on May 4th of 1982 in Hamilton. Hanson, Massachusetts. She was the fourth child of Frederick, who everybody called Fred, and Lori Murray. She had one older brother who was named Fred, and she had two older sisters named Kathleen and Julie. She also had a younger brother named Kurt, which I love that name. Mora was raised in an Irish Catholic house. Her parents, they did try to like, you know, keep that in the house until Mara's parents were actually divorced when she was six years old. After that, Mara primarily lived with her mother. She went to Whitman Hanson Regional High School. She was an all-star on the track team. She was, she was good in school. She made good grades and she got accepted into the United States Military Academy in West Point, New York, which isn't it kind of ironic that she went there after all the cases that we cover of the mm-hmm. girls in the services there at West Point, New York in West Point, New York, she studied uh, chemical engineering 
engineering. And she actually studied that for three semesters. She transferred to the University of Massachusetts Amherst to study nursing. So she basically like changed her whole, what she wanted to do, which us Quinnies can probably relate to that. Like I've been there. I've done that. I changed my degree a lot of times. You Mm -hmm. in the middle of what you're doing, you think you want to do something else and might even go and major in something else for a couple semesters only to decide you don't want to do that either. (laughs) So even this, right. She there in like all the specials, people are like all American girl, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. She was a track star. She came from a big Irish family. She was an overachiever. She went to West Point, all this stuff, Mm -hmm. made good grades, all of the things, right. Totally on the surface. Like, sure. Absolutely. It's all there. It's, It's all believable until you start to peel back the layers Layers, and you're going, Oh, I see that there's other stuff actually going on here. So this is debated. And I really don't know how we would find this out for sure. It has been reported that Mara's departure from West Point was based on a disciplinary action. There was a report that she tried to steal some merchandise at Fort Knox. The commissary. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The commissary. So she tried to steal some makeup. Her sister confirms it. Right. Right. Which, but everybody, like her family comes majorly under fire here. So yeah. Again, yeah. I don't know why why anyone would have any reason to lie about that. To be honest, no. I really don't. But and Julie everybody was at questions West the family, well. right? So she would know. Like, she stole some stuff from the commissary, and instead of being removed, she left. Instead right. of them saying, well, you can't come back now, she left voluntarily. Mm-hmm. And I only mention this because this is the first time that we're going to see her get out of a very bad situation. And it seems like she's really good at that. Like it's yes. a, like she could list this on her resume is mm-hmm. like when she gets in trouble, she gets out of it. She gets out of it. It's <sighs> weird though, because she doesn't leave right away. She finishes out the semester. So she's there for like another three months. So that's not a disciplinary, you got to go. No. So I call this section weird ass behavior because that's really the only way (laughs) that I can even describe describe it. it. I don't even know what else to say. There are like, like hundreds of hours devoted to unpacking this time period, these about three, three and a half months before she disappeared. Everybody says it means something different. I think we can all agree that it's just weird as hell. So we're in November of 2003. Like Katie mentioned, Maura has already transferred to UMass Amherst. She is now studying nursing. November of 2003, she is arrested for using a stolen credit card. According to bank statements that were obtained by the Missing Maura Murray podcast, which is awesome. You know, we'll link them obviously in the show notes. They have like 160 something episodes on this and it's not, it's, they're never going to run out of material. No. So according to these bank statements, Maura used this card on October 20th and then she used it again, this time for two separate food purchases on October 28th. She does the exact same thing, two separate food purchases on Halloween, October Mm -hmm. 31st two food purchases. Then again, November 2nd, two food purchases. And she tries to use it again on November 3rd at a place called La Cucina di Pinocchio. And she is busted by the Amherst PD. So basically what they've done, police department has said, okay, there's suspicious activity on this credit card. We're going to conduct a little sting operation. Mm -hmm. If somebody calls a pizza place in the Amherst area, because she's ordering a lot of pizza, she's calling Domino's quite a bit. And you remember those days, Quinn, I really Um, do. It's also important to just note here too, that like, this is just what you do. You do things like this at this age. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, it's really not that horrible of a thing. I'm not saying that I ever used a stolen credit card when I was in college. Uh, I didn't do something that extreme, but like, it's not that extreme for when you're that age. You you, make stupid choices. You do. You do dumb shit like that. Like you just come home at 11 PM and you don't have any food in the house. And you're right, you know, like it's just it's a real uh, thing. You're young and you're figuring it out. This is, you know, people call this the pizza delivery sting. So they flag this credit card and they put out a notification to all area pizza places in Amherst. If you get someone calling in and giving this credit card number, you need to contact the police right away. So this seems like it's exactly what happened. A cop actually delivers the pizza to Mora and she is arrested. And after she's arrested, she admits that she stole the credit card information from another student, female student 
student at Amherst from a receipt that she found in the trash. Police ask her for that receipt. She gives it to them, no credit card number on it. So then the police say, okay, could you produce the paper that you wrote the credit card number on after you got it off the receipt? And it actually contains several other numbers when they look at it. And no one really knows 100% what the other numbers mean, if they have anything to do with the case. Is she stealing other credit cards? No idea. And you get the feeling that the police are also like, okay, (laughs) I don't know what the fuck this is. She appears in court on November 16th for the charge. The charge is improper credit card use under $250. She has no criminal record to speak of. And so she has the charges conditionally dismissed if she gets into quote, no trouble over the next three month period. So she basically got three months probation. Well, I don't know, because again, this is a bad fucking situation and she gets out of it relatively easy. I don't know. She must have been pretty charming. Very, very likable in some ways because there are people doing her favors all over the place. Yeah. It's just in another like total creep factor wrinkle of this case like she disappears almost exactly three months after that sentence coincidence Do not probably like goes all the way to the top so it's that weird. is just my personal opinion i mean again it's november 16th the probation runs for three months i don't know if it runs for three months from the 16th or from the third when she is arrested. We don't really know, but it's that window. She disappears on the ninth. It's damn close. It's just my personal opinion, but I don't think she ever stopped breaking the law after that sentence. And I think that she was very aware of that. Can't get caught doing that again. She might not get so lucky. So February 5th, 2004. And, conti- and it continues. Yeah. It continues. <laughs> it just continues. Yeah. So, now we're, so now, right, we're coming up on the end of probation, right? She's almost out of the woods. February 5th, 2004. Days before she vanishes. She has a job at the student security desk at UMass. And she takes a call from her sister, Kathleen, at 1020 p.m. And Kathleen says normal conversation, you know, talking about money, talking about men, talking about relationship problems, you know, just shooting the shit with your sister. Basic. A few hours later, but also technically now we're into February 6th, you know, but it's just a couple hours after this. It's an overnight shift. 1220 AM. We have a UMass student seriously injured at the cross section of Mattoon and Triangle Street in Amherst. His name is Patrit Vassy. He appears to either have been hit or thrown from a vehicle and the the driver appears to have fled. So this is a hit and run situation. There is a ton of speculation about whether or not Mora was involved in this hit and run. She was on duty at work at the time, right? So it seems unlikely, but we don't know. And her car really comes into play in the next couple of days. So you can see why it gives you an idea. Yeah, it definitely, you get a lot of ideas from this case that Mora was not the best driver ever. I mean, that's like a really huge sign that we get over and yeah. over and over again. Yeah, that's that like one Maura of the actual like, facts of the story. Yes, actual fact, like not a good driver. Fact, like she not, wasn't not a good behind driver. the wheel. I, a part of me wanted to like give her the benefit of the doubt. Like, okay, you're a new driver on the road. No, mm. it's still a little concerning that you're having this many accidents. Like it becomes a concern at that point for sure. Yes. Doesn't make it any less effing suspicious, but it's it is still- weird. It it's is weird. Lot, I mean, we've all wrecked a car, you know, like it's, it happens. It definitely happens. I hit a yes. deer at 4 PM in broad daylight, totaled my oh car. My God. You know right, what I but mean? That's like, a total, total, total accident. Like, but like it, it happens yeah. to, it happens to yeah. the best of us, you know, yes, but it does. This it does. is just too many times, babe. Yeah. There seems to be a trend of things going wrong right before this person fucking goes missing. Yeah. Yes. And so it's yes. like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, are right. Stressed, yes. And then it led to this, or is it like, this is making the stress, like, what, or is know, it irrelevant? Right. Or exactly. Or it has nothing to do with anything. anything to do with it at yeah. all. Right. It so is. you can see why people try to make the connection. Possibly. Maybe she was there. She was around. We know that. So now it's around one o'clock in the morning, February 6th. She gets another call at work and she becomes extremely upset. Now it's important to remember here that Mora is not supposed to be getting calls at work, but her family and her boyfriend 
at the time who we have not mentioned yet, but she does have a boyfriend during this time. Her family calls her at work and the boyfriend calls her at work and she is explicitly not supposed to take calls at work. So again, she's on probation, right? Kicked out of, for, for what, from what we understand, disciplinary action leads to her leaving West Point. She is on probation for stealing. And now it just, that too, just speaks to like the rules don't apply to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think leaving West Point is a, is just a huge piece of this story because she was really, really regulated there. They didn't give her an inch And she didn't like it. And she didn't like it. She wasn't used to that kind of thing. Maura gets so upset by this phone call that her supervisor walks her back to her dorm. She's like in a catatonic state. She's described as like extremely upset. And her supervisor is like, is there someone I can call? Is there something I can do for you? And she's like, oh, no, no, I'll talk to my roommate. It's fine. But she doesn't have a roommate. Now, a lot of people, again, there was a hit and run less than an hour ago, right? So a lot of people are like, she was upset because of this situation. Maybe she was involved. She didn't know how to handle it. She said she got a phone call. Maybe she didn't. It's just, we don't know. A lot of speculation around that. And since then, again, just like Carly was saying that Julie corroborated that Mora left West Point voluntarily after stealing something, Kathleen clarifies that it was what her. What this was about. Yes. Right. She said that she called Mora at work and she told her that she had just been picked up from rehab by her fiance who drove her directly to a liquor store. Not a good look. And she's guys. a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. She is a recovering alcoholic and yeah. So and this is a Catholic family. So then she's got a, a sister that's struggling with alcoholism in a mm-hmm. Catholic family. There's more Irish people in America that are alcoholics than Irish people in Ireland. Right. So right. that should tell you something. Well, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're just making excuses. So, <laughs> so, but Kathleen says that this is what happened, but Maura didn't tell anybody that right. that's what happened. So we don't know what she and was she, upset about. Right. And she I, seems to not tell anybody a lot. She doesn't tell anybody a lot of things. I mean, we can get into it later. I am not wholly convinced that she's actually legitimately upset at that moment. Maybe she's just doesn't feel like being at work at one o'clock in the morning. I feel like she is already in deep and hot water because she's spent an hour, one hour out of the five hour shift on the phone when she wasn't supposed to. And this is a way of her getting out of trouble. And I bet you she's done it more than once. I think you're right, Carly. It's just, and it's that, and it's that age too. It is. It is. It is. is. We're not blaming her. No, not at all. It's just what you do, but like, you're not going to get caught. It worked a ton of times. It definitely worked. We have proof that it worked. Yeah. Anyway, she's back at the dorm and she is so upset, Quinny's, that she calls Domino's and orders a pizza at 3 a.m. Make of that what you will. The next yeah, day- Yeah, Jeremiah's bringing, back, bringing me back a Domino's pizza tonight, <laughs> Quinny's. I'm not even joking. Well, that's what you're not ordering it at one o'clock in the morning, Quinny, because you have no other food. I mean, but I might be her. stress eating a little bit. I'm just saying, because Maura Murray's stressing me the fuck that's out. Yeah, okay? and you have to but read Domino's so many times. God. Her alleged eating disorder. We're going right. to oh, I know. I know. I, like, I, know. I, I know. I'm sorry. I'm getting, I know. I'm getting ahead of it. Okay. It's funny because when we do do the breakup episodes, it's hard for us because I know we have to refrain. Do the whole case, but you're only assigned certain parts, which also kudos to you, Joss, because you just do such a great job of. of, You really do. You always and it's like you know us, and you, but you know know us, and she knows which ones. I know what you want to (laughs) talk. She knows which ones we want to talk about. It is so it's so good, but yeah, it's like we struggle a little bit because some of us don't know which parts. You know, if we shouldn't cover this too much or recover right. that way too much no, or not right. enough yeah i'm like so. childhood katie's gonna want to talk about that yep. fucked yes. up weird backstory that scares everyone carly's gonna want to talk, talk about that yeah <laughs> like, it's like yeah i uh, i understand I the assignment so we're still on february 6th right because this is all overnight february 6th, next right. day right. classes are canceled at umass because of heavy because snow of and bad driving conditions yep february 7th fred rolls up into fred. amherst massachusetts Fred so Senior. Fred yes. Senior pops. 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 Yes. Okay. He is there to take Mora 
car shopping. So she says to her dad, I have not been using my car. It's a Saturn. I have not been using that lately because of quote mechanical problems. And she's been getting rides from her friends if she needs to go out. So Fred comes into town, help his daughter out. And he withdraws $4,000 from multiple ATMs. And he said that he did that to help with car shopping. Unfortunately, there are no records whatsoever of any dealerships in the area that saw Fred or Mora that day. Now, it's possible that they used the classifieds or Craigslist. They talked to private sellers. They are like, got the newspaper. They're circling things. They're calling phone numbers. They're going out looking at cars. That's possible, but it's of note that there is no one corroborating that that's what was going on, okay? And that weirds a lot of people out. There is also some contention that Fred didn't have that kind of money and his finances were suffering and he was he was going to lose his house to foreclosure. Um, and so how's he going to cough up $4,000? But we don't know. Again, that's all speculation. He has also, Fred himself has also been quoted as saying, you know, Morris' car was fine. Like it was fine enough to get around town and do whatever. It wasn't like do or die. It wasn't like she had no car, couldn't At use all. it. Right. right. She already had a car. She did right. have a vehicle. And so because her car is messed up, everybody goes back to the hit and run and oh. thinks that her car is messed up because she hit someone with it and ran from the scene and contacted her dad and he came down to bail her out. So that's a big piece of this. And we'll definitely talk about that next week. Uh, another theory says that it's not Fred. It's Mora, who is taking all of this money out on Fred's card. And Fred is covering for her because he's embarrassed and ashamed. And she was missing. She's She goes missing and she is clearly comfortable stealing and she's engaging in impulsive behavior. And he's trying to make that seem yeah. less intense. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. We have no idea. I'm going to say that like 15, 15 million times. times. Yeah. Yeah. So after they go shopping, they go to dinner and drinks with Morris friend Kate Markopoulos and Fred at a place called Amherst Brewing Company. Everybody calls it ABC. So they have dinner there. They have drinks. And Fred says that they next go to a liquor store. And Mora takes her dad back to his hotel and borrows his brand new Toyota Corolla to go back to campus to go to a party with her friend Kate. It's just like fucking bad news bears written the all parties, over it. Man, like... And like, obviously... Okay, what yeah, have we also, learned? No more friends. No more. Parties. It just also like gives me vibes that like he's like I'm not like your average dad. I'm a cool dad. Yeah. Like he's like the yeah. cool dad because it's like why are you going to the liquor store with your daughter? Like why I don't know. That's just her borrow your brand new car. Your right. house is about to like get taken from you. You're when you already all cash yeah, right, like, and when uh, you already may or may not know about an incident that may or may not have already occurred that we may or may not know that she already might be a bad driver. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't add up. Nothing. It doesn't. Up. No, I don't and like I try it. I remember that. Like if I tried to explain my family to America, <laughs> it would be a very yeah. interesting conversation, but like, I try to remember I that, but it, still though. there it's too many. It's too many things. The volume of it alone. Yeah. Right. It's like, what is up? Also, is she a liar? Because she learned it from her dad. I don't know. Next week. Next week. Next week. Okay. Ugh. So the party. They're heading to a party. This party is at Sarah Alfieri's dorm. Mora is spotted at the party with Kate, just like she said she was going to do. This is approximately 1030 p.m. And we are into Sunday, February 8th. We haven't really talked about Billy very much yet, but he is Mora's Mora's friend. Mora's Mora's boyfriend at the time of her disappearance. We're going to talk a lot more about him next week. She is in a relationship. There is some contention that neither of them are faithful to each other at all at any point during the relationship. Boyfriend, we're going to use that pretty loosely. I don't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. Okay? What does it even mean when you're 20 something? Right. You know what I mean? Seriously. Well, you could end up married with two kids. Oh my God. I have to <laughs> tell you this. Oh my God. I, just, I, just, I totally forgot. So the other night after we got home from Titus mm. and Sam, or I think we were driving home and Sam and I are both like, can we just talk about like how Mike and Carly have been together for like 
I don't know, like 15 years or something. Yeah. And Carly walks into the show and she's in the lobby and Mike walks out and they're like 18 years old and desperately in love with each other. Like they just, <laughs> imme- they see each other and like time stops and like little hearts like come up, whatever. And I'm like, how is like, it was oh, no. so freaking cute. Like Quinny, I wish you could have seen it. Like they yeah. saw each other. It was beautiful. It just warmed my heart. It was so cute. So freaking cute. Oh my God, I love you guys. Okay. So do it like that. If you're in your twenties, do your relationship like that. All right. So party's over. Maura's going to, you know, return the car. Everything's going to be fine. Right. Nope. 3.30 a.m. She totals her dad's brand new Toyota Corolla by crashing it into a guardrail on Route 9 in Hadley, Massachusetts. This is a one car accident and it's only her car. She crashes into the fucking guardrail. Obviously driving intoxicated. Yes. Yeah. Well, but I again also speculation. Don't know. know it for sure. The responding officer that. did not file any charges. Does not conduct a field sobriety test. There is absolutely nothing in the accident report to indicate that she was impaired. Was how do in a catatonic do do state? This happens though. Okay, this literally happens though. If you're a hot little twenty-something-year-old thing and a hot cop and a cop pulls you okay. over and he thinks okay. you're hot, okay. And she knew how to this do it. This happened. Yeah. She and knew how to do it. This happens when I was in college I at Schenectady. I literally <laughs> got pulled <laughs> I over and imagine. I had been drinking. Can no lie at all. I have never ever drank and drove again ever since that happened. I had been drinking. I had a couple. I had two or three gin and tonics. I I knew that I was driving, so I didn't go balls to the wall. I had been drinking and I was in my mom's Chevy and it was a black car and it had a magenta colored hood. Okay. It like didn't, the car literally didn't even match. Mm-hmm. I remember this And guy. I got yeah. pulled over dressed to the nines. We were like in dresses yeah. and had our hair and makeup done and we were just all decked out. And I literally talked myself out of a DUI. They gave me a sobriety test and I passed it. And this motherfucker literally let me park the car in the neighborhood and let us walk and said I could come back in the morning and get my car. But that's luck. It wasn't like- You didn't crash the I didn't fucking car into the Right. And I wasn't, I also wasn't trying to manipulate him either. Like I was straight up honest. I was like, yes, I did have a drink. Mm -hmm. I like, you know, I had, I said it to him. And so they, I guess they appreciated that, but yeah, still it does happen. It really does. When you're that age, like those things, they happen. No, not even a mention on the accident report. I can imagine just being a cop and being so pissed off. (laughs) <laughs> when you run into somebody who did this and be like, oh my God, all the paperwork, like, because yeah, you're exactly nothing. right. There should have been pages and pages of a file about this. So 4.30 in the morning, Mora is driven by a tow truck company to the Quality Inn where her father, Fred, is staying. And then she uses Fred's cell phone to call Billy. Yes. And she and... did $10,000 worth of damage to oh, her she father's totaled car. It. Over $10,000 in damage. It was a total loss. She... Yep. It was a brand new car and she wrecked it. So she calls her boyfriend from her dad's phone. And then Fred said that when he got up in the morning, she told him, hey, dad, um, this is what I did. He is obviously very upset. He takes her back to her dorm around 1 p.m. that day. And the next 10 hours are a big fat question mark. We do know that there was some interesting activity on her computer. She's looking at some rental properties in New Hampshire, in Vermont, specifically in Vermont, in the Stowe ski area region, which we're going to talk about next week. She's calling her voicemail really often, kind of a lot, kind of more than you would normally expect. And this is pre-iPhone. So you do have to call to see if you have messages. I think you used to have that little like envelope on the top corner of your little flip phone, you know, that Mm, would like mm -hmm. if you had a voicemail, but you would have to call to see if you did. So it's just interesting. She calls it over and over again. Fred says that the last time he spoke to his daughter was at 1126 PM. He called her and he told her, remember tomorrow, Monday, February 9th, you need to go to the DMV. And pick up the accident report forms because we to get my insurance involved in this and legitimize the loss. So now we're into Monday. 
February 9th, which Carly is going to take us through the day of the disappearance. The first reported contact that Maura has with anyone that day is at 1 p.m. when she emails her boyfriend, Billy. She doesn't call him. She doesn't text him. She emails him. It's like, what the Very official. It's weird. But she, so she emails him. She says, quote, I love you more, stud. I got your messages, but honestly, I didn't feel like talking to much of anyone. I promised to call today, though. Love you, Maura. After she emails him, she then makes a call about renting a condo in Bartlett, New Hampshire. Her family had vacationed there before, so she knew, like, the area. She knew the condos. She knew, you know, probably has good memories. She wanted to try to rent with the same condo association. So the phone records say that the call lasted for three minutes, but she didn't end up getting rented the condo. The owner reportedly did not rent the condo to her. 1.13 p.m., Mora calls a fellow nursing student, no name, and for reasons unknown. She doesn't actually speak with this person. She leaves them a voicemail, but we right. don't know what was said, and I want to know. It's important enough, like it's in her list of things to do that day. Everything else you'll find out has a purpose. So this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what is this? And what is, what time is this? One thirteen. One thirteen p.m. So what the fuck? Are, exactly. Yeah. Is she, is she not in class? I believe that that day classes were also canceled. That Monday? Yeah. Okay. So she's just like on the phone in her house, like just obsessively calling <sighs> yeah. things. So she has like a She has a goal. Also like. has a landline. 10 minutes later, Maura emails her boss and or a supervisor of the nursing school faculty. Some people say that she didn't email her boss. Some people say she left her boss a note. Some people say she didn't contact the boss at all. Apparently this is up in the air as well. She contacts people saying that she will be out of town for the week due to a death in her family. Right. She'll contact them when she's back in town, but there is no death in the family. Right. Her family states like- Her family says no. Nothing going on. So that's a lie. And Quinny's, I get it. You want to- blow off since you want to play hooky but don't lie about a death dude. no that's that the is worst like one. yeah worse that's the worst one you're setting yourself up exactly don't do it 205 p.m mora calls 800 go sto for five minutes so the number wasn't actually there was no one answering the number the number only had recordings available for listening that day and it's all about booking hotels in stowe vermont which is like a big skiing place it's a big ski resort there. She just apparently listens to the recordings. 218, she calls Bill after she emailed him that she didn't really want to talk from her landline, but he yeah, doesn't It's not like answer. she's fucked up on something. It's like she's fucked or up she's on like something. Or she's like manic. You know what I mean? Like she's in the middle yeah. of like a manic episode or something. Yeah, it sounds like, like it sounds like drugs. To have to anything. Me. So she calls Bill, Billy, whatever we're calling him. He does not answer. Later we find out he is actually on the phone with um, their friend Kate Markopoulos. Remember Kate? Remember Kate? Remember Kate was at the party the night before? He's also like dating one of Billy's friends. Hmm. But like, also there's like a fidelity situation going on with her Hmm. and the I don't like it. It's a whole thing. She does, Maura doesn't know this yet. She just knows that Billy didn't answer the call. So the call only lasts for a minute. She leaves him a voicemail promising they'll talk later. Bill does end up calling her back a little while later. He tries three times to call her back on the landline, but Maura doesn't answer it. Because she's not there. So meanwhile, at some point, maybe earlier that day, the night before, again, we had that like chunk of time. We don't really know what was going on. But at some point, Maura had packed up some of the stuff in her dorm. And she also packed up some clothes, some toiletries, her college textbooks, and her birth control pills. And she put them in her car. Later, when her room was searched, the campus security would find that some belongings were packed in boxes and her art was taken down from the walls. And on top of one of the boxes was a printed email from Bill indicating some trouble in their relationship. Whether it's infidelity or not, I'm not 100% sure. But this is interesting because it is assumed that the belongings that were packed in boxes were her belongings and that maybe this lends to the theory that she was planning on leaving and not coming back. But it's never confirmed that they're her belongings. It could be Bill's shit. It could be a Kate Markopoulos's stuff. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And anybody's stuff. She. This isn't that long. I mean, they they probably went back right after Martin Luther King Day, right, the nineteenth. So this isn't that long since then. What if she just never unpacked portions of her stuff? Exactly. We don't really know it at all. They don't know if it's a state of packing, not unpacking her stuff. Right. Someone right. else's stuff. No idea. So around 3.30, 
Someone in the dorms stated that they did see Maura leave the campus. She was driving her black 1996 Saturn sedan. Again, classes have been canceled, so that's not unusual. Ten minutes later, Maura goes to an ATM and she withdraws $280 from her account. Now, this is not a big deal. However, it is almost the entirety of her bank account. It is left nearly empty. So she's grabbing all that she can. All the money she's got. All the money she has. And the CC footage does show that she was alone at the ATM at that moment. So keep that in mind for later. After she goes to the ATM, she then drives to a local liquor store and she buys $40 worth of alcohol. She buys some Baileys, like one of those little sample things. She also buys some Kahlua, some vodka, and some wine coolers. Again, the store security cameras show she is alone. Also in her car, there was a box of Franzia wine that she had had from Saturday. She had bought it for the dorm party. So she has the Franzia wine and the wine coolers, the Baileys, the Kahlua, and the vodka. Remember Franzia, (laughs) Quinnies? Yes. Yes, I do. The good old days. (laughs) After this, at some point, she does go to the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles and she picks up the accident report forms. With all the alcohol in the car? like all the alcohol in her car. In her beater. In her her light car that's like, Like, coming to the parking lot. With her birth control pills and her college books. Okay, like she's set. So she had picked up the forms from the crash earlier that weekend. And she was allegedly going to go over them with her father that night over the phone. Maura then leaves Amherst somewhere between 4 and 5 p.m. Where it's presumed that she used I-91 North. But at 4.37 p.m. she calls to check her voicemail. Again. We don't even know if there is a voicemail. But she checks it. And this would be the last actual recorded use of her cell phone. What were you looking? What were you waiting for? Bill called you three times on the landline. Not him. Not him. You waiting for the nursing student to return your call or what? You're not even going to be around. You're le- you're driving away. You're leaving. She's revved up about it, something. Yes, like... Like something. She's revved up or she's stressed out about something. And at this point, while she's leaving the campus, she's driving away. She has her things. She has the liquor. She has her cash. It's still not known where she's going or if she even has a plan of where she's going. She's just leaving. We do know at some point she stops for gas because when her car later crashes, it has a full tank. But we don't know exactly where she gets the gas from. So 7.27 p.m., a woman named Faith Westman, who's a resident of Haverhill. 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 So Faith Westman, she's a resident of Haverhill, New Hampshire. She calls police saying that there's been a car accident near her home on Route 112 and a car is stuck in a ditch. And at some point, speaking with the police, she states that there is a young woman who is near the car. And then there's also a man smoking a cigarette on the passenger side of the car because she sees the light from the lit end of the cigarette. Then later recants this statement correct later she recants the statement not recanting the fact that there is a person smoking she had said a man in the beginning but she didn't actually know if it was a man she couldn't see she kind of assumed from what she could see that it was a man oh maybe it's just a tall man with like short brown hair and like it's like about six foot it's like oh i don't know know. why don't maybe just shut your mouth how about that (laughs) like i'm sorry I like, but just seriously though, it's like, it it just, that just reminds me of like a small town gossiper. That's just like, oh, this is what happened. And this is what it is. You know, it just, that's what the vibes that it gives me is it's just like, I mean, it's an area where there's not a lot. Not a lot right. going on. Not Very lot going rural. On. Very Small town. Rural. Yeah. So, and this becomes a huge problem of this case too. And, and we get into it. Yeah. But again, but, she doesn't recant the fact that there are two people. Two people. The right. whole time. We just don't Whether know the gender. Man, right. Yeah. Or whatever. Shortly after this, a bus driver named Butch Atwood drives by and stops to help. He speaks to the driver of the car, who he says is a young woman, and this would be later identified as Mora. He offers her help, asks, do you need me to call the police or help anything? Do you want to come to my house? I live like right there. She declines the offer. She states she already called AAA. And he can see that like she is in a state of somewhat shock. Like from the accident, like she's not, she's upset. She's cold. She's in shock, but he lives right there. He's very close to the accident scene, but he also knows there ain't no cell phone reception in this area. There's no way you called AAA, especially in 2004. 
He knows it ain't happening. Again, he lets her get away with it because he doesn't press her on it. So what is it about Maura Murray that just keeps making people like go the extra mile for her? That's true. If it's her lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. This is just what we're hearing from Butch. Right, right. With that in mind. We right, because Butch comes know. back around a little Butch bit. Comes yeah, back around. Okay. He goes back to his house. He calls police from his landline, his home phone. But he doesn't know that Faith Westman had already called and the police are on the way. So his 911 call is placed at 7.42 p.m. They ask, is the woman injured or does she appear injured? He says, like, she seems shaken up, doesn't really seem injured, but Both of the airbags have deployed in the car, but he sees no blood or any apparent injuries. So the police arrive on the scene at 746 because they've already been on the way from Faith's call. When they get there, they find the car locked and Mora is nowhere to be found. There is nobody there. It's dark as shit. So the officer that comes on the scene, Cecil Smith, he notes that the car is facing westbound in the eastbound lane. So as if it was turned around going the wrong way, crashed in the ditch, right? The windshield is cracked. And again, both airbags are deployed. The car had allegedly impacted a tree on the driver's side of the vehicle, severely damaging the left headlight, pushing the car's radiator into the fan, rendering it inoperable, and the car was locked. But another source that I read slash heard was that the car was totally operable and it would have been fine to drive. Either way, we definitely know that the windshield is cracked, both airbags deploy, and the car is locked and Morris not there. What Officer Cecil Smith does see is that inside the car, on the ceilings and the doors, and outside the car, he sees red stains that look to be red wine. It's not blood, but it is a red liquid. And he sees on the passenger seat a damaged box of Franzia wine. And there's also a Coke bottle with a red liquid in it. That's also thought to be wine. They find Morris' AAA card, the two copies of the accident forms that she picked up from the DMV, her gloves, some CDs, makeup, printed directions for Burlington, Vermont, and Stowe, Vermont, and one book, which is Not Without Peril by Nicholas Howe, which is a book about like exploring an adventure of the New Hampshire's presidential range. What don't they find in the car, Quinnies? They don't find Mora, first of all. They don't find her. They don't find her debit card, credit cards, or her cell phone. And none of those have been located or used since she's been missing. Where's the cash? Yeah, where's the money? Where's the $280? She spent 40 of it on liquor. And she clearly stopped for gas. Stopped for gas. And she, was, some... and she was likely drinking in the car while Absolutely, she was driving. with the Coke bottle. But yeah. where is everything? Where's the rest of the cash? She didn't spend it all. Some of the bottles of liquor that she had purchased earlier that day were also missing. So some of it was in the car and some of it was gone. And another thing that was missing was a black backpack that she supposedly had in her position at the time where did the where did the rest of the liquor go it's did you oh drink it God. all and then throw it away at the gas station the empties like what yeah she doing? took them with she what took them with her so Maura did have an emergency roadside kit and a rag from that kit was found stuffed into her muffler her father fred later said that he had told Maura to put the rag in the tailpipe to help the car run better she was saying that the car wasn't running great she didn't want to get pulled over by the police. She's on the probation. She doesn't want to deal with, she's not a great driver as it is. She doesn't want to have to deal with it. So he allegedly tells her to put it in the tailpipe to help it run better. Police. It still seems suspicious to me it though. It seems weird. Mm-hmm. So at 7.54, Officer Smith puts out a bolo for Mora. Be on the lookout. There are no footprints around in the snow. There's nobody found at the scene. 7.56, EMS arrives to help with the person and a fire truck comes and since there's literally nobody there they leave by 802 so like in and out so officer smith he ends up going to butch's house to speak with him to see to get his statement see what's going on and this is when butch finds out that mora is not there but she's missing because he assumed that she was talking to the police but what's weird though is that butch after finding this out immediately runs out to his bronco and tells people like i'll help search for her i'll help you you're very eager you're, are you inserting yourself into the crime scene much? Like, what are we doing? Like, it could mean nothing. It could be mm-hmm. a very good Samaritan situation. It could be a nosy Parker situation, or it could be something more nefarious. You thought she was there. You just find out she's gone and like you're already running to your car to help the police search. Like, at some point, though, within the next hour, Morris' car is towed to a local auto repair shop. Authorities do a quick search of the area. Again, like I said, there are no footprints found in the snow leading from the car. They don't find the second person 
person who allegedly was smoking a cigarette. I don't see any mention of like a cigarette butt anywhere. Um, And at 927, Officer Smith is dispatched to another call. And at some point, I can't get a real determination of whether it was that night or if it was the next day, but they do send dogs to go search. I have it as the next day. You do? Okay. Do you want me to get into it now or do you want me to wait? Sure. Yeah, you can. Okay. So the dogs are there. They're sniffing. They're searching for Mora and they pick up her scent. They pick up her trail and they follow it. And it leads away from the site, up the road, going exactly directly toward Butch's house. But it ends in the middle of the road, almost as if she got into a car, whether by her own volition or not. We don't know. I don't know what I make of Butch jumping on the Bronco search, you know, weather that day. They got down to negative four that night. I wonder if it's just something as simple as like, well, she's going to die out here if right. you if you don't find her. She was right. just here. You need to, you know, or, I know or what she looks like. I and I know her. this. Yeah. I live here. Like yeah. I could help, you know. But yeah, that is weird. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about Butch. It is. It really there's is. One other thing that happens that night, but we don't find this out until later. There is right. an alleged sighting of Mora. So between 8 and 8.30, a contractor that's returning home sees a young person, a young woman moving quickly on foot eastbound on Route 112. And this is about four to five miles east of where Mora's car was discovered. And he sees the person. He notes that this person's wearing jeans, a dark coat, and a light colored hood. But he doesn't report it to police immediately because he didn't really think anything of it. He didn't really know the date. He discovers three months later when reviewing his work records that it was the day that more it was the night rather that Mora Murray went missing. So he called the police, tells them that. But he later retracts the statement. Yeah, like what the so, fuck? Okay. The fuck? Do we literally know it? Is anyone seeing anything that is, is anything like, real? Is anything real? Is everyone having a shared hallucination? Like, what are we doing? It so, makes you want social media so bad. It, it makes really you does. want like and the progression that we have today. Like, yeah. if yeah. we only yeah. had it back then, day after all this mess happens. Fred gets a phone call from the New Hampshire State Police and he is informed about the accident. Mora's accident. She got into an accident. We don't know where she is. He's working out of state that whole day. He doesn't get the message. It's left on his home answering machine. For those of you who don't know what that is, it was this little box that uh, that, that we put a tape in and you leave a message, whatever. It's like it operates like a voicemail used to be in your house. So he doesn't get the message <laughs> until later that day. So then Mora's sister, Kathleen, calls Fred and says, Hey, there's this message. Morris car has been found abandoned and it's wrecked. And Fred is very upset. And he says something that really comes back to haunt him. He calls the police and he starts talking to them and he's like, I'll come out there, you know, whatever. And they're explaining all of these things. And after he hears these circumstances, he tells the police, it's possible that my daughter tried to hurt herself or self-harm in the woods because she had a rough couple of days and I think she might have been very upset and I'm worried that she was so scared to come to me and tell me that she wrecked another car that she's afraid to come forward. She is, she's deliberately trying not to be found, right? She's embarrassed. She's upset. She may have tried to hurt herself. That could be what's going on. So according to Maura's family, from that point on, investigators were just like, oh, Mm -hmm. well, Mm -hmm. then this isn't really a police matter, is it? Yes, she left the scene of an accident, but she didn't injure anyone except for maybe herself. Her vehicle has been abandoned, so she's not driving around an unsafe vehicle or driving around in danger of hurting someone else. And if this is a suicide, um, we'll find her body and that'll be the end of it. The, The family really feels like as soon as Fred said that, they're not interested anymore in investigating this as possible mysterious disappearance under suspicious circumstances. Fred is like, yeah, which is just so frustrating too. It's like really frustrating in a lot of ways because it's like, you're just going to take that one point of view from just one like crazed, upset dad instead of actually doing your job. If that's (sighs) true. Right. Like also not for nothing. This area sucks. It is so rugged and so out there and so out of place, like so like out of reach of everything is what I mean, that they are not looking forward to the follow up on this. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be a good day. It's like at the beginning of the National Forest. Like Mm -hmm. it is like. Yes. It is. 
Mm-hmm. Trees, trees, trees. So Fred's like, so are you guys searching? Are you searching right now? Are you searching? Are you looking for her right now in this moment? And the police are like, well, no, we are going to search tomorrow morning because this is an incredibly rugged area. Mr. Murray, I'm not sure if you've ever seen where we're at. We need the New Hampshire Fish Game and Wildlife Service and we need dogs. And so they wait until the next morning. I mean, they're not wrong. It's right? just they need to get those things and to get right it moving now. So then Billy or Bill, Billy or Bill, Billiam, he, um, he is calling a lot of people. He calls Kate, but we know like Mm. he's already calling Kate. He is calling Maura. He calls a couple of hotels in the Amherst vicinity. And then he calls Fred. And after he talks to Fred, he's like, I'm coming to New Hampshire. Billy is also in a military academy. Is is he at West Point as well, Carly? He or he's is. at he's a lieutenant at West Point. He's a lieutenant right. at West Point. Okay, in Oklahoma. Boyfriend, yes. So boyfriend not is, the right? same. Correct. Yes. So yes. not the same complex. She was in New York. He's Correct. in Oklahoma. They didn't meet at West Point, but right, right, right. Oklahoma at this time. Okay. And he can't just leave. Exactly. He needs to make arrangements to leave. So actually his mother leaves and travels to New Hampshire and meets Fred the following morning. We're into Wednesday, February the 11th. First search for Maura Murray, New Hampshire fishing game. The first search, this is ground and air. This is also 36 hours after the woman disappeared. So what are you going to find? There was and snow, the there was cold. rain. Oh, yeah. There was like, it was just... The dogs. Again, Carly already touched on this. A hundred yards east of the location of her vehicle, they lose her scent. It just poof. What they used was one of her gloves that was found in the vehicle, which her father insists she never wore. She never used them. She never, they're like nice leather gloves, like something that you get like on Christmas from like your great aunt or something. And they're like, yes. nice, but you never have occasion. Like, when am I going to like wear those? Like they're fancy, you know, yeah. going to the opera or something. So she, they, but she had them in the car. So they use them and Fred thinks, well, who gives a shit? Because she never really wore them. So they don't really have her scent. So they're useless. But nevertheless, the dogs pick up her scent and lose it. 100 feet from the car. So what happened? She get in the car. Was her scent just washed away? Were the dogs mistaken? This is a spoiler alert for all of you, Quinnies. I don't think the dogs are mistaken. Nope. Pretty much ever. So. Oh, they can sniff inside a a barrel 12 feet underground. Oh, Oh. and I think they can figure out a scent on Mm -hmm. the road. Like, okay. So that night, Billy makes it to town. His father also comes. So now we've got mom and dad and Billy in New Hampshire. Billy is interrogated by the police in private without his parents. He questioned him two times right afterward with his parents in the room this time. They straight up tell him and his parents that they believe that Maura either ran away or committed suicide. He and his parents immediately tell the police that they do not believe that is likely at all. That's what you think. This is what we think. So again, the family's already starting to feel like they're not doing the right thing. The police are already saying, well, you just said that she could have self-harmed and so maybe she's suicidal. And now you've got people who who know the girl, who are pretty close with her, who are like, no, 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 nope. So then Billy turns on his phone and he had shut his phone off to go through airport security and for the flight. And so he just never turned his phone back on. He turns it on. Right. And he has a voicemail and he thinks it sounds like Mora sobbing. He tells the police right away and they trace the call to a calling card issued by the American Red Cross. Yeah, it's so confusing. Like, what the fuck? This has never been explained and the voicemail was deleted. No, no. What? Never figured out. Never, ever touched again. How many times do we have to say, give Carly (laughs) the fucking evidence did you have to delete it though i have voicemails on my phone from 2007 come on in what world is it like oh we won't we won't need this no i mean things do get accidentally deleted that does happen but it's like they they i'm sure that they said oh this is no value to us done so now we're on friday the 13th friday february 13th you will notice quinnies and we will come back to this next week that this is almost valentine's day so that's in this window and everybody should keep that in mind um, Morris family is like, Hey, I know that it's everybody from New Hampshire doing this, right? This is state police and fish and game and everything. And that's great. But we're literally straddling the Vermont border. 
And the girl had two sets of directions in her vehicle to go to Vermont. So can we search in Vermont? And they're like, no, no, we're going to look in New Hampshire. We're in New Hampshire. We're the New Hampshire State Police in New Hampshire fishing game. So no. So Maura's family starts searching in Vermont themselves. The, the, you got to do what you got to do. You don't know where your people are. You got to do what you got to do. And then in the fucking newspaper, the police chief is quoted that day saying, quote, our concern is that she's upset or suicidal. So now everybody that learns about this is not looking for a distressed female, like in my mind, like in a gas station or in the back of a car or in a situation where she could be hurt and she could be crying out for help. And no one's looking for that now because you have literally come out and said, well, we don't really think that's likely. So no big deal. I, I, I have a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. A lot of things about this case give me that feeling in the bottom of my, in like the pit of my stomach, like that. It's not a good feeling. It doesn't feel right. The search has started late. Search just started late. The area was concentrated on 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 state lines. When really, I know that we're throwing this around like she went to school in Mass, and then she's in New Hampshire, and then she was going to Vermont. But like these places are all right next to next each other. to each other. Like yes, they're just all, we're talking about this with, with uh, Harmony Montgomery exactly. Right, like no, exactly Mass to New Hampshire. This is not. It's not far. Not far at all. This isn't across the country. It's no. a skip and a jump. And even if it were. Oh, but then the it could police. be across the country because by Tuesday, February 17th, same police chief is saying that the search for Maura Murray is now nationwide because you set up another search. Oh, no, no, no. We're still searching in New Hampshire. But just saying that gives you the impression that she ran away. She's an hysterical yeah. woman. Upset or suicidal. Mm-hmm. Two different things. Mm-hmm. So then we have Thursday, February 19th, second search from New Hampshire Fish Game and Wildlife. During the search, we have Maura's sister, Kathleen, find a ripped pair of underwear. The this underwear, is- dude. Yeah, this is weird. Yeah, this is weird. Not this lying is weird. in the snow, okay, on a trail near French Pond Road. DNA tests, they do not belong to Maura. Well, who do they belong to then? Yeah, seriously. It's like like a literal just ripped pair of underwear. They don't just like fly out of the car. Yeah, like seriously. A hat falling off your head. Like, no. We're starting to get into, it's been a long time. Like it's been a week and a half. Yeah, we're like 10 days in. We're like 11 days in, 12 days in. It's going to start to get ugly because her family is like, no, you don't understand. The girl had everything going for her. She was on a track. She knew what she wanted to do. She was a go-getter. I understand you. We've been talking about her criminal behavior, her impulsive behavior. She's also just a 20 year old and it just doesn't make any sense. It's also that really messed up things that happens in missing persons cases that we talk about often is that at a certain point, you have to go back to living your life. People have jobs, people have responsibilities. They can't just stay in New Hampshire and look for her because they have to go, they have to live. They have have to do these things, jobs, families, all the things they got it. They have to go handle shit. Fred checks out of his hotel and heartbreakingly has to go back home and the family goes back to their lives. And Fred continues to return every single weekend to New Hampshire and is searching by himself. By the time we get into April of 2004, the Haverhill police actually contact Fred and say that there are people contacting them and complaining of him trespassing on private property. And if he doesn't stop, they will have to arrest him. Such bullshit. So terrible. It's very, very, very difficult situation that everybody is in, in this. This is very, very, this is like a Rubik's cube of a situation. What do you do? What would I do? I don't give a shit if that says private property. I can't find I'm going to search there every day so i'm walking right. right through here and you can come out and point a gun at me but if uh, is my daughter in there that's exactly. the question like i don't know I'm not wrecking your property i'm looking for my missing child yep and i'll Even tell you that a grown woman uh, you, know? you know and it would be nice if if and i don't know if they did but it'd be nice if the police said hey do you know why he's out there like have you been well, watching yeah. have you been watching or, the news or it pisses me off how about how about we help him search more right that's what i'm saying 
okay. It's so, so frustrating to me nobody that nobody can the, call the police because the literal police are searching. Like, hello? right? New Hampshire Fish and Game too. Like, okay, shout out to them. Like, because they're the ones going out and searching. It's so yeah. frustrating to me. Like that the people, the investigators, and like the police. Like, where are they? Well, they're not prepared. They they can't. They like, literally can't do the search because it is it is serious rugged terrain. This road that runs through there is if you look at a map like there are just no roads there's nothing around. yeah it's yeah. just forests and protected areas like it is i can't i know mm-hmm. i can't so now we're into may 2004 haverhill gets a tip that someone saw a young person quote running on the night of morris disappearance this prompts another search of that area New Hampshire fishing game are out at, at the, at the area where the tip comes in. Nothing. So now we're going to get into a rusty stained knife. Quinnies. Oh my God. The knife, the knife, the knife. Got to talk about the knife. We just got to introduce it. We'll talk way, way more about it next episode. So this man don't even know when this is, by the way, this is late 2004. That's how we're told. I have no idea when this is a man gives Fred a rusty stained reddish brown knife that he says belongs to his brother. His brother, who has a criminal past, also lives less than a mile away from where Morris' car was discovered. And his brother and his brother's girlfriend are reported to have acted very strangely after Mora disappeared. So we will come back to them later. We will. Remember the knife. So weird. Random. So that's where we're going to end 2004. And, And really, at this point, this is the end of 2004. We don't know where Mora is. We don't have any concrete leads. And if you'll remember, Quinnies, there was another unexplained disappearance in the same area that involves like kind of all of the same circumstances that mirror Mora Murray's case a little bit. Yeah. This, of course, is the still unsolved disappearance of Brianna Maitland. We covered this case in depth. We're going to link Brianna's episode in our show notes. So the police have said, multiple times and they've been asked multiple times and now when they get asked people get so mad they're just like no there's no connection between the disappearance of brianna maitland (laughs) and maura murray yeah but i call it bullshit yeah but i call bullshit i don't know anything about this so how do you know that it's not so number one creepiest fact of all is they completely resemble each other so we'll start there yeah. They both are brunettes with beautiful smiles. But just to give you guys a reminder, like Quinny said, we did cover Brianna Maitland in full. Brianna Alexandra Maitland was born on the 8th, October 8th of 1986, and she went missing. She disappeared on March 19th of 2004. What? What? That is exactly one month and 10 days apart from Maura Murray. And it is also exactly 66 miles away because she went missing in Montgomery, Vermont. Whereas, like we said, Maura went missing in New Hampshire. Right. Pretty much Vermont. Correct. Pretty much Vermont. Unless you're drunk and you think that you're in Vermont. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Which is a real thing. That's yeah. true. Brianna disappeared after she left her job at the Black Lantern Inn in Montgomery, Vermont. She was 17 years old at the time of her disappearance. Her car was found the following day and it had been backed into an abandoned house, which was just about a mile away from her workplace. And she has not been seen or heard from since. Several days passed before any of Maitland's friends or families reported or even knew that she was missing. So that is the difference. One of the differences. Yep. Is that whereas Mora was pretty much the very next day she was pronounced missing. No one even knew about Brianna right right away. The creepiest similarity of all to me is the cars. Mm -hmm. And it did appear that her car was just 
according to her family, her family is saying like, no, something is not clean. Like this is not right. Like what her car is just oddly backed into a random abandoned house. The placement of the car and the way the car was belongings were left behind in her car. It was like her family was like, no, this is not it's not normal. It's not what she would have done. Like it just doesn't seem none of the pieces are fit. probable. Like, it doesn't no. make any sense. Then they also put in the alcohol there, too. And they say, oh, well, she was getting off work and it was late and she worked at an inn and there could have been alcohol and you know she maybe had something to drink and so maybe that's why she you know and that comes into play too and it's just like okay but it doesn't make this any less sketch or suspicious at all I just think it's a little too odd to me it it really is right without Mm -hmm. a trace nothing no sign of any possible place that they could be no sign of a struggle in the car no sign of evidence outside of the car no not a trace of these women for damn near 20 years a month or so apart more more has left her birth control in the car brianna's left her migraine meds in the car you don't just leave that shit the only reason why why brianna maitland had her paychecks in the car and maura murray didn't have her cash is because you don't have to sign your name when you pay cash was it also brianna that left her which one of because you see now this is the problem too because now i mix them up yes yep Oh, which one of them was also left their contacts and their glasses? Brianna. 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 That is so, that's such a huge. Yeah. Nope. Like, nope. and the migraine medicine, quite frankly, and is the huge medicine. too. It You're is. You're not going to just like, leave it. You're no. not. That's, it's no. No. It's no, no purse left behind and type shit. Stowe, Vermont is 40 minutes from Montgomery, Vermont. Right. Looking at ski resorts and Brianna Maitland is working at a lodge in a ski town. I don't yeah, I don't like, like it. Either. There's just truly no reason, no reason at all for them to definitively say that there's no connection except for the fact that they're just straight up annoyed that people are bringing it up. Saying yes. it. Right. There's Truly, it is, and like yep. I'm sorry, but you can't discredit that. I'm sorry, you can't. No, and always. they both remain unsolved. Exactly. So, what does that tell you? Like, right, we need the option open to explore, and it's and not it, even that they're saying we know something about both cases. No, they're not we, no, saying they don't that. Share. They don't they give you anything. Not they're that. not saying they it. They're just shit. saying it, even if they aren't connected. You just can't tell me so matter-of-factly and definitively that that's the case because they right. just want people to shut the hell up. Yep, show Especially me the evidence. when we had a couple, two, three serial killers rolling around that area I at the same fucking time. You just can't say, absolutely not, door closed, no. done. I think they do it because they want to make people stay because they think they want to make people stay calm. Yep, absolutely. By not yes. telling absolutely. Yeah. But they're not say, helping. So the truth is it goes all the way to the top. All the way to the top. So oh. Quinn's, I think that's where we got to cut it off for tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's almost 10 o'clock. Well, it's because this is just so much. It's we could so much information. We really could. Oh my God. So yeah, we'll it's a good be call. back next week. Theories. You know I'm going to bring up Israel Keys. We're going to talk absolutely. about a bunch oh, of Israel yeah. killers. We're going to talk about all these theories and we're going to talk about what we think possibly could have happened to a one more Murray. Listen to Straight Up Evil.